Okay, guys, welcome back to the podcast, season two, episode eight. My name is Ian Fraser. I'm Mike Marty-Savich. Uh, guys, we have a real treat today. Um, this is one for the equipment junkies out there. We have Kim Braley of KBS Shafts. Um, Kim is someone just steeped in the history of this game, someone that has been in the industry for you know, probably his most of his life ever since his, his father was and and Kim were working the PGA Tour. We want to get into a bit of that. I mean, it's a it's a pretty unique story, Mike. Yeah, it's like the you know the family that pioneered the golf industry. Um, this is his backstory is cool, but um, for everyone who follows us and sends us club building questions, this is an episode you definitely don't want to don't want to miss. Yeah, there's there's lots of stuff that that people will have maybe had always had an, uh, questions about. There'll be some answers in here. You know, I want to get into some questions on Kim has stepped shafts, he has stepless shafts. Um, you know, they basically invented frequency matching. Uh, you know, they brought that system to to the industry. I want to hear how that originated. Um, TK, who's on uh, with us also today. I mean, TK is a really unique figure. Um, I mean, TK is, I believe, a plus seven or plus eight handicap uh, around Whisper Rock. Um, one of just he's a unique figure, and everywhere I go around North America, people know of TK and and his credibility. So uh, we'll dive into that. Okay, let's let's get the guys in and uh, let's get chatting. Gents, how are we? Well, I think well, all things considered, we're doing pretty well. Good, good, good to good to hear you're you're doing well, and you know, obviously, we're all um, struggling through this this little phase here. Not what, how we expected to start the golf season, is it? No, it certainly isn't. It's, um, you know, like you had mentioned earlier uh, when we were, we were speaking, you know, it started out so great. And, yeah. uh, I mean, it was, for us, it was record-breaking, like I uh, wow. told you. And, uh, you know, for this to happen is, you know, it's, it's just something that we have to deal with. And uh, yeah. it's all we can do. That's all we can do. And TK, um, I mean, I know the, the restrictions are a little bit less in Arizona. Are you still getting to play a little bit? You know, it's interesting. I'm actually playing quite a bit every afternoon. Um, I go into, uh, Kim and I have an office at Cool Club, so we're able to yeah. do a lot of testing and research out of there. Oh, good. And that's actually where I'm at now. And then at three, three o'clock in the afternoon, I'll head up to Whisper Rock and play some golf. That's not a bad gig. He's no, played golf every day. He's played every. He's played golf every single day. <laughs> Seven Since days a week. Eighty-two, probably. <laughs> yeah, just about more than I'm more than I'm accustomed to at this time. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that's that's good. No, I'm delighted to hear that. Well, guys, we really appreciate you joining us. I mean, if there's one thing that's came out of this awful situation, it, it might be that we're all afforded a little bit more time and, and maybe we can connect and, and do things like this. So we're really thankful that you guys were able to come on and do this with us. And there's, there's going to be lots of questions today that hopefully our viewers and listeners, whether they're watching on the YouTube channel or listening on the podcast, there's going to be some, some great info for, for them. So I'm excited uh, for what we uncover today. So Kim, take us back. Take us back to you know where did where did the journey start for for KBS and, and even prior to that for you guys. Well, um, you know, I, I, as you know, I, I worked at uh, some other golf companies prior to KBS, um, and uh, uh, you know, eventually uh, it, our company was acquired by True Temper, and uh, this was uh, fourteen years ago or 13, 13, 14 years ago. And, uh, I, I, uh, I was out of work for about 
oh, I don't know, six or eight months and uh, just play golf every day. It was, it was great. And but I had an opportunity to go to work for, uh, for FST to create a brand. And uh, that's what we've done. And, uh, you know, in a little more than 10 years, this brand has, has, has become the uh, second largest uh, steel golf chef company in the world. Quite remarkable uh, when you think of the the landscape of steel shafts and and how long the competitors that you have have been in the marketplace doing what they're doing and you know for you to come in there and take that number two spot in that timeline is is really remarkable. Um, so kudos to you guys for that. So tell us a little bit about the you know your background in steel shafts. You, I'd love to hear a little bit about you know your father and yourself and the story and the origin. Well, um, I mean, it's a long story. I'm going to, I'm going to shortcut it for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, my father had been involved in the golf business prior to doing golf shafts. Uh, he had developed a, uh, a golf club that was made out of 100% titanium with tungsten weights, uh, back in the seventies. And, uh, it was a very, very, very expensive club. And, um, I, I, you know, 80% of our sales were actually in Japan, but anyway, we went to, uh, I'm going to tell you how the frequency matching thing started. Please, we went down yeah, to, uh, we went down to Palm beach was, was, which is where Wilson had a, uh, had an iron Byron. And that was really the only one at our disposal. Where, so where, what, what we did was, are we thinking here roughly around when this would be in, uh, the late seventies. Wow. Okay, so Wilson was still a huge powerhouse at that point in the golf industry. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. So what we did was, uh, you know, we were trying to do some research on the clubs and where the weight and CG should be. So uh, we had a couple of clubs that we wanted to use as a master so that we could get this test started. And uh, we checked the CGs on the horizontal and vertical axis and, and, and the moment and, and what have you. So yep. we knew these golf clubs were absolutely identical. We put the exact same shaft in it, you know, put it on a deflection board. Mm -hmm. if you, you remember the deflection board. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, did everything that I could possibly do to try to make it exactly the same. But right. in, uh, in testing it, when we got down there, uh, the guy had to fiddle with the machine a little bit in order to get the first one going straight. And then we put the second one in the exact same orientation and had mm. entirely different results. So my dad and I are like looking at each other thinking, you know, you know, we're, we're, this What's is a huge waste of time. Uh, yeah. we, we don't have, how can we do a test if we don't have a master? Right. So we did as best we could with what we had because we were there. Right. But on the way home, my dad, we were driving and all of a sudden he just came up with, you know, uh, it was the chefs mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's really kind of, that's what started me into uh, designing golf shafts. Mm. And at that point, sort of measuring these things dynamically was probably fairly rare. Um, measuring, you know, components in motion. Uh, hey, rare. When I first started trying to understand this stuff, I, would, I went to the library at the University of Pennsylvania. That's how we used to have to do research, guys. You know, it was, you know, you went to a friggin' library yeah. and you read friggin' books. And it was very time consuming and it was, it, it, <laughs> you, wanted to, you wanted to have to learn, you know. But anyway, there was nothing there. There was absolutely nothing there. There was, there was quite a bit on hickory. Mm -hmm. um, there was not a single thing on steel golf shafts and no other than wow. just the origin. Um, so I, I ended up studying ship masts and flagpoles and other tubular structures yeah. and uh, really just started out uh, with a clean plate. Um, I, I didn't have any kind of a base to really work from, from because there wasn't a base. So, you know, it was just trial and error and, and testing and trial and error and testing and trial and error and testing. Mm. 
in, that's crazy. So, uh, Kim, when you're when you and your dad came up with you know frequency matching, do you think today taper needs to be frequency match as much as what parallel would be? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see why you would you would you would not. Uh, yeah. The really nice thing about parallel is the uh, ability to be able to manipulate that a little bit mm-hmm. yeah. more so more so than a taper. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, parallel or tapered. I think uh, you know is is frequency the end all? To no, it's not the end all, but it is certainly a very good measurement in terms of being able to determine if one shaft is stiffer than the other and and, and those those type of things as long as they're a like structure. Yeah, but, yeah uh, we get we get quite a lot of questions going. You know, why why frequency and and you explain it to people going it it keeps everything consistent. It helps us you know find any outliers if we if we do have one. Um, so that's uh, it's why I asked. I get it asked all the time about frequency. So to have the to have the inventor you know answer that for us is is going to help. Hey, uh, you know what? I think it might be beneficial if uh, we talk a little bit about how we do it. Yeah, uh, sure. Please. And TK does a lot more building than I do, so uh, why don't you uh, why don't you take take it, take it over here, TK, and, t- and just talk about how the what our process is from wedge to driver. You know, uh, I'll start with irons because that's where our bread and butter were in steel, mm-hmm. and. Kim was, when he first designed the shaft for a KBS product, it was our Tour 130. It was basically a shaft that we needed to um, have something in the industry that was going to be able to fit a lot of people and at the time create feel and desired optimal launch and uh, spin rates. Mm -hmm. And the 130, when he designed that, you know, to be honest, uh, the only shaft really the Tour guys were playing was basically an X100. Yeah. And um, we were looking for a frequency as far as that would create a, disper- a tighter dispersion with a night with a softer feel. Mm-hmm. That's what we were. That's what was the goal. And that's that's a really hard goal to achieve. And when Kim created the first shaft, what he did was that was so um, ingenious to this product was that the shaft reduction from one step to the next reduced incrementally to create the most amount of efficiency in how the shaft unloaded. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in doing that, he created a product that not only had a great feel, but actually frequencyed a half a flex to a flex stiffer. If you looked at frequency numbers, but actually wow. felt softer, which is almost, which is really, really hard to, hard to do in this, in, in what we were trying to do. Very hard to do. And as a fitter, something that's very desirable giving someone the feel and that that sort of feedback from the shaft that it feels like it's loading, you feel like you're creating energy. But as a fitter, we're giving them stability and less deflection, whether it be in either axis. That, that's a, I, mean, I love to hear that as the concept. That's amazing. So, so what we did, was, after we, we you know, created the shaft, after Kim created the shaft, and I can say we, mm. <laughs> um, after Kim created the shaft, we needed to, um, you know, catch the outliers on both sides, people that needed a higher launch or lower launch and, and different and C taper was born and some, some different mm-hmm. shafts. So we weren't, because not everybody goes into one shaft, you know, obviously depending on how they unload the shaft or, you know, tempos, there's, there's a, mm-hmm. so many varieties into fitting and that's where it's so integral into trying to, you know, make sure we have a shaft that fits everybody. Yeah. But I'll, I'll lead into once we did the steel, we, you know, we, we're trying to get to the aftermarket. We're trying to make sure that all the fitters 
have a way to make their players better. And that that's how we, you know, integrated into uh, graphite shafts because, you know, really graphite started for us when um, as, as the, as things evolved in the golf manufacturing companies, loft started to get stronger mm-hmm. and we started to lose three and four irons in the bag. They started to go to graphite and we wanted to bridge the gap between steel and, um, you know, fairway woods. And we, Kim used the same EI curve numbers as our tour into a graphite. And I don't know if it was luck or he never, I can't say it's luck because whatever he designs usually ends up working tremendously. But the results we had with that first graphite really set us Mm. in motion to create the TGI product, the Max product, and our TD shaft in our driver. Yeah. And, and I definitely want to go into graphite in a, in a little bit, but just before we get there, I would love to touch on, guys, I'd love to touch on your relationship and how well that has worked, obviously, over the years, because you guys have a really unique relationship. TK, as, as your pedigree as a player is you know, so high and, and you're, you're very unique in that you can perform at high level at various speeds. And I've seen you guys do it in person at cool clubs. And Kim, you know, you'll ask for a specific swing speed or hit this shot. I want to see how the shaft moves. Talk to me about how that relationship is unique. Who, who would you like to answer that? You want to yeah, you start that? maybe, Kim, and, and give us your thoughts. I'd love to well, hear TK's as well. Honestly, um, Tom is a... Tom is 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 very a curious person uh, when it comes to golf, mm-hmm. and uh, for probably probably two, three, maybe even four years before he was hired, he was doing the majority of my testing just because mm-hmm. he wanted he wanted to be on the cutting edge. Right. Um, TK has won tournaments with every single shaft I've designed. He won it with the tour. He won it with the C taper. He won it with the S taper. He won it with all my steel shafts. He's uh, he he's won a tournament with. Yeah. Um, and you've experienced it, so you know what we're what what he is able to to do, and what and and how it makes my job so so much easier. In that I have a person that can swing a six iron at sixty five miles an hour yeah. and have every number across the board on the launch monitor be perfect. You know the, the, the you know the angle just be perfect, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so anyway, it's just been, it is, it's cut the development time down tenfold. I, I don't have to go out and get a whole bunch of amateurs and then start figuring out which ones make sense and which ones don't. And, and, you know, in order to design shafts for people that are average players, generally you have to really, really get a lot of data. Right. Um, and, and, and obviously eBay, normally the process is going to be to go and do that with an iron barn, isn't it? You're going to go to a robot program the robot to certain speeds and delivery characteristics but you don't get the feedback from that you can yeah, turn to tk and go what did that feel like that exactly exactly and that's you know that's uh, the feel to me is just so important i you know i yeah. not everybody loves the way our shafts feel i mean um i've been fighting uh you know when i was a kid i had two options i could either play a a, a dynamic mm-hmm. or i could play an apex and that was it and then Union Tubular had a, a shaft called a Propel, which was uh, also a dynamic. So, I mean, that's all we had to choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the really thing, one of the things that's that we're most proud of is a lot of the players today, and and almost all the kids are in college. At least they all had a chance to have a, a to, the majority of these guys have actually probably been fit. I believe. Yeah. 
I, I think the majority of um, of the golfers that are at the top of the pyramid, yep. uh, with the exception of some tour players because they're just so hard-headed, uh, <laughs> have, you know, the younger, the, the people coming up anyway. Yeah. I, I think the majority of them have been fit. I really do. Those that are the serious golfers. I, I completely agree with that. And, and TK, tell us your sort of, um, you know, experience with, with this process. For me, the endeavor kind of came with Kim came to me and tried, did some testing and did some prototyping. I was, I've always just wanted to get the best, the most out of what I could in my game. Like, yeah. you know, to me, there's, there's four facets of golf. One's your body, one's your mm-hmm. technique, one's the equipment you're playing and one's your mental process. Yeah. The equipment is such a, a massive part to allow the others to happen without mm-hmm. the equipment being right. You're, you're basically at a roadblock from the very beginning. And I, I've always been, you know, I, people would say you're kind of a club junkie. And I said, no, I, I just, am, I'm, I'm looking for what is the best in the world. And, yeah. you know, I felt like when Kim was on to what he was doing, he was, he was literally creating it at the moment that I was looking for, that I was still looking for. it. Wow. And so what, what better situation than to be able to have the guy that makes these shafts invented for frequency matching. I've learned, I've learned more about golf and shafts in the last 10 years than I would have, I would never dreamed of, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm still learning stuff daily from him, you know, because he's, he, he'll forget what he'll, he'll forget more than I'll ever learn in terms of golf shafts. Yeah. So I've been fortunate in the golf swing portion that I've been around some really good people. My life changed in terms of golf swing in 2000 when I had an injury and I was lucky enough to go see Butch Harmon and start a road of, of how, I will, I would learn to swing. So mm-hmm. I was, I was fortunate in those two aspects. And in this time, you were talking about this time period. I remember first having, I remember the first KBS tour product I had in my hands. It was, we were able to put it in tailor-made burner or nine irons, uh, was the first time that we really saw, you know, this, this iron, how good it was. And, and, uh, and then obviously having tour 90 and, and the, ability to to maybe use something that's a bit more stable but lightweight compared to what else was in the marketplace and that was a game changer for us uh you know i was at TaylorMade at the time and that was such a unique uh combination uh those those two maybe talk to us through this this time period of you know 10 11 years or so um how has the game changed the ball has changed we have launch monitors now we have more knowledge than ever now maybe kim if, if you can just tell us a little bit about the evolution in this time time space well you know obviously the balls keep the ball continues to to evolve yeah and uh which was the the biggest uh incremental change i i believe but you know in the last 10 years golf clubs have gotten so strong Mm -hmm. um you know it's a it's a distance battle uh the oems want the golf clubs to go longer they want their eight iron to go longer than the other guys Mm -hmm. and uh you know, they've learned a lot about how to manage CGs. Yeah. And uh, so they've learned how to put a much stronger loft on the golf club with a much lower CG to be able to obtain the same type of uh, ball flight at a much lower loft, which equals more distance. And so, uh, you know, Tom, chime in. I, I would say other than the ball and, of course, of course, golf clubs get a little bit longer as time mm-hmm. goes on. 
Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just so unfortunate that we have no standards in our industry. It's, it's unfortunate that you and I can't have a conversation and be talking about the exact same thing because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you have a you have a pedigree at, from TaylorMade. So yeah. y- you may measure things a certain way. Mm-hmm. I may measure things from a certain a, a totally another. Now, uh, a couple of years ago, we went around to all the tour vans. Uh, we were at an event and I don't know where it was, but somewhere. And we went around to each of the tour vans and we measured a 45 inch golf club at each one of them. And not two of them were the same. Not two of them were the same. And I'm well, talking about. Our biggest know, problem, Kim, was at TaylorMade, we couldn't even measure it the same. We had a tour ruler and a, and a production ruler. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's the same company. Um, yeah. So I yeah. hear exactly what you're saying. But anyway, I don't know how I got on that. But uh, yeah, I, I knew about I, Wade told me about your tour ruler and, the, and the, I knew about that. Yeah, but you know, it's a, it's you know. Anyway, I don't know how I got stuck on that, but that's just one of my pet peeves. Yeah, I think you, you, what we're talking about is is consistency and continuity, and in, in you and I having a conversation about the same thing, and um, you know, the the specs of golf clubs being the same, and you know how how that has evolved, and it really has evolved. TK, what have you seen in that time period? You know, to add on a little bit to what you guys are saying, we like to try to be consistent in the verbiage that we're using. Mm-hmm. And for instance, you know, it's so important, like when you're, when you're doing something and you're trying to get a person come in and they're saying, yeah, I need an extra stiff shaft and they're yeah. convinced they need an extra stiff shaft. Well, to me, wh- whether it says stiff, extra stiff, that's out the, out the door now. We don't, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, but, and, and then the other thing that can be out the door is even the, the verbiage of frequency can be out the door simply because if it's not measured the same way, some guy yeah. comes in and says, Hey, the frequency on my shafts are seven, five. And they're really, you know, six zero. Well, then, you know, so like you're saying, the, the hardest part is really finding the consistency of knowing what the verbiage is and having everybody get on the same page. Yeah. As far as golf equipment goes, you know, we got to a point to where we were trying to, we, everybody needed less spin, less spin, less spin. Mm-hmm. And, and we created products to create to have less spin. The problem is then as the heads got stronger and the, and the, and the heads create less spin as well. Now we have to go back to shafts that complement the head. So we have to adapt to whatever the, the OEMs and, and the fitters are doing. So we're trying to give everybody options in both regards. I think as a, a club builder, the standards in the industry don't exist, exist really either other than, you know, we mix epoxy the same, you know, we have the same feral sometimes, but, you know, I've chatted to multiple club builders, whether it's tour or, you know, custom facilities like us. And, you know, I'll ask them, you know, what's your seven iron frequency out at? And they'll, they'll tell me a number that are they far off? Am I far off? So there's so many little inconsistencies that I wish there was a standard. Uh, does that mean maybe it's our turn to set, you know, standards for, for club building and club fitting? Maybe, but I, I agree with you. I could have a conversation with five club builders and it would be like a, like a swarm of bees. It's just so much information and, and some of it doesn't even add up. So that's where with KBS, we do everything. So our verbiage without, within our lines, <clears throat> they're very consistent in what we're saying. So for yeah. instance, if a girl comes in, I, I've, I've handled the LPGA the last couple of years, um, kind of by fluke because we, we designed the graphite shaft that really came out and, and, it's exceeded every expectation we would have ever dreamed of in terms of us getting into graphite. And that has to do with Kim creating the EI curve around our tour. And mm-hmm. we've had, I mean, we've had a lot of wins already, you know, LPGA Lydia Co had a great year the first time she came out with it. But if a girl comes in and she's swinging at 80 miles an hour, we designed 
a shaft that's 80 grams to freak out at 4.0. And I can make that frequency go to 3.7 or 4.3, depending on what her needs are and how she's looking for ball flights and stuff. So when we create frequencies around feel and weight, it's very easy for us to get to almost anybody. I mean, really anybody that's looking to fit a shaft. Yeah. And that's cool to hear you talk about the LPGA Tour there, TK, because I think one thing when people look at, you know, some of the stats and speeds that are, you know, the players are having on the LPGA Tour, it represents the average golfer, doesn't it? That's the club golfer's speeds. So it really matches in well. Yeah, you know, uh, in Japan, believe it or not, uh, they look towards the LPGA Tour in making a lot of their buying, uh, you know, in, 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 in buying their equipment. Which is which is brilliant, uh, yeah. you know. Why should we be looking at Tiger Woods to, or or anybody? I mean, why why should we be looking towards people that swing that you know so much faster than us, have so much more ability, mm-hmm. yada yada yada? But uh, in Japan, the LPGA Tour is very very influential as far as what you were talking about, and mm-hmm. and rightly so. Yeah, I've got I've got an uncle who's a good senior player, and he you know he asked me he got a simulator, and he's like, "What do these numbers mean?" And I sent him, you know, some of the LPGA averages, and he's like, "Why'd you send me the LPGA?" I was like, "Just swing and see what the numbers were." And sure enough, a couple of days later, he was like, "Oh, my numbers are so similar; it makes so much more sense to mm. relate myself to to those numbers." I'm like, "Yeah, there's other than if they had some senior tour numbers up there, that would be perfect." But you know, he can relate so much easier. Can, hey, I'll, uh, I'll tell you, uh, yeah. you know, a quick, a quick little deal here, and this is uh, off of something like what TK was saying earlier about stiffness. Um, you know, you have guys that are just stuck on a stiff, and uh, if you fit them and you fit them into a regular, you know, the next thing you know, they're having a the conniption. So, <laughs> what what we do in some cases is we'll drop down and wait. Uh, give them an extra stiff shaft at that weight, <laughs> drop them down, which is actually weaker than the R flex that they were they were they were fit into. And uh, now all of a sudden they're happy because they're not only they're not swinging stiff anymore. They're swinging they're swinging an extra stiff shaft, but they don't realize it's actually weaker than a regular. Yeah, because, because of the weight, you know, the way we do the tour, we go from 135 actually, which we don't sell. We just use that for a few tour players. Yeah. all the way down to 90 grams at five gram increments. So mm-hmm. somewhere within that range, you should be able to fit, you know, a lot, a great, you know, a, a good, good, a good, a high percentage of the people that walk through the doors. Sure. And that's, and that's what we've done with all of our products. Uh, I like to bracket things. I'm all mm-hmm. about fitting guys. I mean, I, there's nobody that's more about fitting. I'm all about fitting. I mean, well, the first golf shafts I ever designed were designed frequency. I've, I've never designed a golf shaft that wasn't meant for a particular segment of the industry or not the industry, but of the, of the, of the, the golfers of the golfing public. And, uh, anyway, so, uh, if you, I, I just don't, I, I am one that believes that if you don't get fit, uh, you're, you're just doing yourself such an in-service that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I talk about it every single time I get a chance. And one of the things that Mike and I have been working on, Kim, during this kind of off period is we do a lot of talking about club fitting, obviously, on the channel and our different outlets. But one thing I don't think that complements that is nearly enough chat about how the build process complements the fit. And one is only as good as the other, because I think there's a lot of uh, adoption for fitting now, but I still don't think people are going, okay, 
I need that club to be built correctly so that the fit is a valid fit. You know, and, and, you know, simple things like someone orders a driver, they got a demo, they go to the pro and the pro puts a mid-size grip on it, goes to 67 grams and all of a sudden they don't feel the head as much. And, you know, they, they go, well, that was a bad fit. Well, it wasn't a bad fit. You just changed the characteristics of that fitted club. Um, so, you know, we're really passionate about talking about the build as well as the fit. Yeah, you know, uh, whenever people ask me about about fitting, I just I encourage them to go to an established uh, operation yeah. somewhere where fitting is what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I, I I'm not going to say that I, I, any kind of fitting is better than nothing at all. I, I would I would imagine, but uh, I mean, there, there's certainly some that do it much better than others, and those that do it for a living are the ones that I always steer people towards. Yeah. Ian, Ian, you made a great point right there, though. A lot of guys that go to demo day mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they hit that driver on the range. And, and that's why, you know, you say, do not, you know, you need to leave with that driver. <laughs> have <them order> another <laughs> one. Because first off, we don't know, you know, we're lucky enough to have, you know, our shafts, you know, for aftermarket, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they meet a very, um, t- their, our tolerances are very well. So, so you're going to get close, very, very close to what you're getting. But a lot of yeah. times tolerances fall out of, you know, and then you, your your frequency could be not only way off, but you made a good point about you know a guy that 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 demo driver has a forty eight gram grip on it, and he's he want, he's normally playing a sixty two gram grip. Mm-hmm. That totally changed the dynamics of the clubs as soon as he takes the grip off. That's right. So. Yeah. That's that's it, and I think the more education people get about the simple thing, and those are simple things, but making sure that we we help them understand that that's why they're struggling and, and they didn't have a bad fit and the fitter wasn't wasn't wrong about the fit it's just we're talking about some some minor details but again that probably that falls back on the fitter to ask the right questions do is it, do you play a standard grip do you play a mid-sized grip you know from a black 2g tour uh, tour wrap to a white 2g tour wrap they weigh different amounts because <laughs> of the white dye i mean those are the details that we need to make sure that we pay attention to when we go through the process yeah it's funny you say that i've got three i've got two different color grips on my clubs to just so i could match the swing weight to <laughs> d2.0 because one's white pigment one's the black and, and yeah. i use a grip that just happens to be a, a grip you know it's a pure grip because i can blow it on yeah a lot of times in testing so you're right the white the white weighs 52 grams and the black weighs 48 grams so it's it, it makes yeah. a big difference it does it does it really does um kim obviously there's there's players on the PGA Tour um, that are passionate about your product. No one more so than Phil Mickelson. You guys have had a great relationship and obviously a lot of the initial product that, that was out there was designed for Phil in the early days. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about that relationship as well and how special that is to you and, the, and TBS as a company? Well, um, yeah. Uh, when I was still with Rifle, uh, or, or Royal Precision or whatever the heck our name was at that particular time. Um, I met Phil. We both lived in, we both lived in Scottsdale at that time. And, uh, you know, it's one, and that's, you know, that's one of the, the very best things about what me and TK do. A day doesn't go by that we, we don't have a tour player to work with. And, but anyway, um, Phil was playing graphite shafts when he first started out on tour. Uh, he had a Yonix contract, and then part of the contract was that he was in graphite. Mm-hmm. 
So um, I had him working with a fellow that worked with me, uh, uh, a guy named Bill Stokely, but, and, and, and they were getting him into the precision light. I don't know if you remember that. No, the, the, oh, the rifle light it was. It right, was yeah, rifle, I remember rifle light. Mm-hmm. Which was a very, which, which, was, which was, was, it was a pretty um, stiff shaft because I tried to get the same frequencies with the lighter weight. So I had to blow it up, which made it, of mm-hmm. course, stiffer. And he was having some pretty good success. And about that same time, I'd already come up with the, uh, I, I'd already started working on uh, Project X. And, um, you know, when I start working on stuff, I don't, I work on it myself, generally, at first, you know, during, during, during the early stages of it. And uh, anyway, so one afternoon we went out and we were, I was watching Phil hits and shots and stuff like that. And, and I was seeing what the, what the flight was and it wasn't quite what I was looking for. And I, I talked to him about, you know, Hey, I'm developing a new shaft. Would you be interested in, in working with it? And uh, the first time he hit it, it was it. Uh, it took quite a while. Um, he's, he's very methodical in the way he does his equipment. Uh, he only changed He only changed the wedges to begin with. And then about a week later, he put it in the nine and a couple weeks later in the eight. And it took about two, two months, but eventually uh, throughout the bag, uh, he was in that shaft and mm. it, that, that shaft, although that was already in design was, was, you know, I, I will tell people that that shaft was designed for him. And, right. uh, it, but when I say it was designed for him, it was designed for the category of golfer that he is in. And, and what's, what's sort of, what are the unique things you found working close hand with someone that is just, just has an incredible uh, talent level like Phil? What were some of the feedback points that, that were unique when you guys worked together? Well, I, you know, first off, you have to, you have to form a uh, basic trust in each other. And that, you know, and obviously I, his, his was, you know, <laughs> I didn't have to, uh, it didn't take long for me to trust what he was saying. And by the way, he is very, very vocal in terms of what he feels and what he thinks. And uh, if you ask him a question, you better get ready to hear an answer because uh, sure. he's going to give it to you. Um, and isn't and that great? It, that, that feedback is so valuable because then you can, you've got something to build on. That's exactly right. You know, just what you said about the robot earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's one of the, I'm not say few, but he's one that actually feels what's going on. I know that you've experienced this where you've given somebody something entirely opposite than what, what they tell you it feels like. That's right. You know, and, yeah. and, and I, I want to get back to fitting again. That's one reason why fitting is so important because there's so many outliers out there in terms of what you would think would be normal for that person. And then you find out, well, they really fit into something that is entirely different than what you think. And, but anyway, so there's another fitting uh, uh, deal. But, uh, you know, I've, you know, I, I, I Throughout my entire career, I mean, uh, you know, in the early days, being able to work with guys like Palmer and, and Nicholas mm-hmm. and, 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 and Trevino and, and, and all those guys. When my dad and I first went on tour in 1979, 1980, uh, there was no other tour vans out there. And what we were doing is, hey, man, I'm sorry about this going all over the place, but this is how I am. This no, is perfect. This is perfect, perfect for the podcast. You know, so anyway, we, we went out there and what we were doing is we were doing purely research. Uh, the commissioner was Dean Beeman at the time, and Dean was a personal friend of my dad's. So anyway, we had court, we had the same credentials the tour players had, so we had access to everything they had. It was fantastic. I mean, you know, going down eating breakfast with Gary Player. I mean, it was it was fantastic. I mean, Amazing. I'm a I'm a kid. I tell you, the first time that I met Arnold Palmer, I had done a wedge for him, 
And it was, it was perfect. And I gave it to my dad to go give to him. I said, Arnold's down. I see him over there on the cart path. And he, dad says, no, no, you go give it to him. And this is the first time I ever handed a golf club to a, an icon. And I was shaken. I mean, I, I was, <laughs> and I handed the golf club to him and he looked at it and it was, you know, of course there was a whole bunch of people around yeah. and he looked at it and he's standing on a golf, uh, on a, uh, you know, a path and it had uh, railroad ties and he just slammed the shit out of it on the heel. I mean, he took it above his head and just slammed the shit out of it. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, I, 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 I'm, I'm petrified. I'm absolutely what petrified. I, I have no idea what's going on. And then he looks at it and he says, ah, that's just right. And uh, I, I went running back to the trailer. Uh, I was still in shock. And, uh, <laughs> and, and my dad says, I oh, don't worry about it, Kim. He was just setting the, the lie on it. And yeah. uh, so anyway, uh, I don't know what brought that story on. but uh, uh, That's an amazing story. Yeah, I mean, there are different times, isn't it, with equipment? And, you know, those old stories of people and they would take a putter and they go, that doesn't look quite right. Stand on the head, pull the shaft down. Oh, that's, that's right. It's a little flatter, just the way I like it now. Yeah. 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 And those That's guys, you know, before lies and before, uh, you know, the gauges came out, yeah. uh, uh, they knew, you know, there was, there was a quite a, a lot of players that did know about lie and the effect on, uh, and the effect, you know, the effect on the ball flight, sure. uh, even before, um, you know, uh, there were, uh, the, the gauges and what have you to be able to, to measure, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, guys like Floyd and uh, uh, I think Trevino, they used to get their wedges and they would flatten them to their eye uh, because they didn't want to see the ball going left. They wanted to they wanted to be able to, you know, just fade it in there, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, long before there were gauges, there were people that really did understand that there were, you know, benefits to having the correct loft and, and the correct lie. I and think Kim, would, what would have been fascinating would have been to have given guys like Floyd, Trevino, I would have loved Hogan to be on a track, man, basically verbalizing what he thinks just happened. Because I bet he would have been pretty darn close to, to yeah. what he was thinking from stepping his trajectories and how he was manipulating face-to-path relationships and those types of things. I mean, you know, those types of guys, I, I feel like they had, they had a built-in uh, track man into the hands they were just so talented yeah i mean you look at the scores they shot and the in and the equipment that they played with and yeah. you know you wonder how you did how you could possibly do that and uh yeah. anyway we all did if you're old enough and uh you know it it is it is absolutely uh it is it is amazing and, and you know one of the reasons why i think guys are so long today when i was a kid if you didn't hit the ball in the middle of the club base it, it didn't go anywhere I mean, and it, and it wasn't in the, in the fairway either. If you didn't hit it on the screws, it didn't go anywhere. Mm. These kids today come up, they're swinging out of their shoes right from the get-go because they put it on the face, it's going to go pretty good. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why, of course, everybody's bigger and stronger, and that's the main reason, But uh, and, of course, teaching, but uh, and, of course, the equipment. I think the you know the the metal wood is is you know allowed allowed people to go distance rather than accuracy and then try to get distance. We were taught to hit it in the fairway and then try to hit it hard. Yeah. Today, I think the kids are just swinging out of their shoes right from the get go and and then try to get it into the fairway. Absolutely, you get guys that can they can back it up with the stats now. Mark Brody can back up the with the strokes gain stats and how important distance is to the game. And regardless of whether you're in the fairway or the rough, you know it's it is. As a distance era that we live in, you would rather take your chances with a wedge out some rough than 
back there with a six iron, you know, from 185 yards or 190 yards. So distance is a huge factor now, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Kim, if we can just touch on, I'd love to hear your thoughts on your uh, KBS online certification, because I think that does the industry um, a huge service with regards to the verbiage that you, you know, you're passionate about everyone having and, and people having more knowledge about the way shafts are made and the way club building, club fitting occurs. Love to hear about that. Well, uh, you know, you, you want to, uh, again, it kind of goes back to trying to get people to understand things in, in the same way that 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 we do and uh you know that probably more than anything else is the message there it's just simply to try to try to understand the effects and and uh and what have you and and, and be able to, to be able to again you know talk to or, or at least have a discussion and mm-hmm. and be able to discuss the same thing yeah. uh you know there's such a great deal of difference within one manufacturer to the next or from Within the same manufacturer, uh, you know, the game improvement stuff is way different than the stuff that uh, a, a, a accomplished player may be playing. And, you know, it's just, it, again, it's, it's an educational tool. Um, and that's simply, we feel the more educated people are, the better our chances are that we're going to get our stuff in play. And we, well, we take yeah. yourself back to that library, uh, back where you're trying to get information and how difficult that was for you. You had to go into other similar industries and you had to try to, you know, learn about things that, that would apply towards what you were doing with steel tubes. And, um, you know, the resource that you've provided allows people worldwide to just jump online and, uh, and go through that, that process. Well, I, I can tell you right now, the people in the office that, that put those things together are going to be really happy to hear about this. Oh, it's brilliant. Uh, we've got our whole team this. So every, every, uh, every week during lockdown, we have a focus on a manufacturer and we have a learning module. Everyone in our company this week is, is making sure by the end of this week, they are KBS certified. They go through the full process and uh, Mike's already done it. We were talking about it. We had a, a team call yesterday and, and I really, you know, thank you a lot for that as a resource. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys are going to breeze through that thing. But, uh, you know, for a lot of people, there's a lot of information there that they really, you know, are not 100% sure of. I mean, yeah. uh, but, you know, for guys like yourselves, uh, you know, obviously, you, you, you did, you, it probably didn't take very long for you to complete it. But anyway, again, it's just a, it's, a, it's about education. And we feel the more educated people are, the better off we're, we're going to be. Sure. Yeah, with with regards to educations, one thing that Ian and I are working hard on right now um, is educating our staff on, again, the build process. Uh, it can only help mm-hmm. our staff ultimately sell the build process and why custom club fitting, but the build is so important. So with the help of, you know, your online programs and other online programs, and then take building consideration, you can kind of put it all together and it, it, it makes our job super easy. But I think, you know, like you said, there's things that guys see on there that they go, I didn't even think of that or I didn't know about it. So then when you walk down the line during a fitting at any of our studios, you can start to hear, you know, the different verbiage the guys are now using mm-hmm. after they've done these online courses. So um, I, I love the online courses, but the KBS one, you know, it hit the info, it hit the fitting and it hit building on it as well. And um, the separate building section had a, had a little, uh, dear to my heart because it's nice to see guys uh promote the build yeah yeah well well 
you know, it, it's, <laughs> if it's not built properly, it's not going to, it's not going to play properly. And that's, yeah. that's, you know, you can be fit until the cows come home if it's not <laughs> built correctly. Uh, you know, and you have to take, obviously, uh, you know, there's things that you do to make sure that it is done, it is built correctly. And uh, unless you have the knowledge that you guys have had and, and you, you, you gain that knowledge empirically, unfortunately, it's trial and error. Because, again, you can read all the books you want, uh, you know, and it, it's, you know, again, and that's why I always recommend that people go to somebody that fits, that is, it's their it's their primary business. And it's not, you know, a situation where. You know, somebody gets fit and someone else builds it and sends it to them and, you know, those type things. And and whoever fit them has to check all the clubs all over again. They ended up having to bend them all and and take the grip off some because, it, you know, you know how it is. But, yeah. it, you know, and, uh, you know, again, uh, <laughs> you know, I just I, I'm, I'm with you guys, man. Uh, you know, I'm all I'm all about fitting. I, I don't. You know, I'll say it 50 friggin' times during this damn thing. <laughs> well, I just, I can hear so many great sound bites from, from this and people are going to be listening to it. And, you know, messaging sometimes when heard once isn't digested. But I promise when someone listens to this by the end of it, they're going to have a passion to go and book a fitting. And that's what we all want, isn't it? That, that's ultimately what we all want for this industry as our golfers to appreciate the value in a fit and the value in custom building. It, the thing about it is they need to play better golf and enjoy this game yeah. and uh, being fit allows them to do that. And, you know, there's so many people that go out and play golf and, you know, they didn't hit balls for, you know, weeks before and, you know, their first shots are on the, or, you know, on the course. And, and, you know, for those people, it's unfortunate that they didn't, they didn't have some kind of a process prior to getting there. But, yeah. you know, the key is, is keeping the people in the game. Uh, we need to keep the people in the game. And the way that we do that is to try to make them play better. And if someone's playing better, I mean, you know how golf is. And you, you, they're not going to go away. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're finished and they can't wait to get back out there again. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, that's, that's what we strive for. We want to, mm-hmm. we want to, we want our customers to enjoy the game as much as they, much as they possibly can. And it's not only fulfilling, it's, it's good for our business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's been the driving force for me for, for many, many years. Uh, yeah. I, I want, I want to grow our game and, That's uh, right. it, you know, this is, this for me, uh, is the best way to do it. Um, you know, I, I can't, there's not much else I can do. This is the best way for me to do it. Yeah. So it's a really great point. Um, TK, I would love to pick your brain. Uh, one thing that, we get a lot of questions, whether it be on the Q&As or, or when we're in fittings in the bay itself. People always like to know how to transition from an iron set into wedges. And obviously, KBS has some unique concepts with regards to wedge design and things like that. And maybe just touch on, on some wedge-specific shafts and, and you know, what people should look for in there. Um, you know, our bread and butter uh, wedge shaft is a high rev 2.0. And it's... Mm-hmm. It's a complement that we have in different weights and we can, so for instance, if I'm playing 120, 25 gram shaft, more often than not, I would prefer to use at least that, that weight and possibly even a little heavier. So what I like to do is put, make sure that my heaviest shaft in my bag is in my wedges just, and my lightest shaft is going to be in the longest club in the bag. Mm. So the driver obviously is going to be the, you know, I, I play a 60 gram driver shaft. I play a 70 gram three wood shaft. I play a 85 gram hybrid shaft. 
and 125 gram iron shaft, 130 mm -hmm. gram wedge shaft. So I'm right through the bag kind of going up. And now specifically when you're looking into wedges, then it becomes, you know, variable to bounces and obviously lofts and what we're trying to create. Mm -hmm. And, you know, tour, tour players often, some of them want to see the ball flight flighted a little lower. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, options like a 610 wedge shaft or, you know, something that, that's, that gives them that, that workability of trying to lower it. But, you know, optimally we're looking for that blend of spin with uh, feel yeah. in the shaft and uh, our high rev 2.0 has done that. And we, we've been able to fortunately, you know, integrate that through a, a set. So if you play 120 grams in your, in your iron shaft, you can play 125 gram in that high rev 2.0 and what we've done in the wedges we've we've now come out with new graphite wedge shafts as well that we're going to be able to complement if you're playing an 80 gram or let's say you're playing a 70 gram tgi you could play what we will have is an 80 gram high rev max graphite shaft so we, hey, we hey, have tom tom go through uh go through your set real quick uh in frequencies you just went through them in weights go through go and and uh, guys this is this is what we have found, this is what we believe uh, in terms of fitting. We believe that this is the correct way to fit. Go, go ahead, go ahead, TK. Let, okay, let, and I, yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to get both you and Mike, both your perspective on this. So for me, my swing speed is around, you know, 110 to 12 normal. Mm -hmm. um, I can get it to 114, 15, but I'm, I'm, that's, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> um, so that being said though, um, our TD, I play a 60 gram TD cap five, our shaft that has been, uh, it's just been amazing. I, when we came out with a wood product, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't really anticipating it getting into my bag very quickly because there's been products out there that I've played from Fujikura and Mitsubishi that have been, mm -hmm. I was, you know, I'm like, how are we going to jump into this market and yeah. be competitive with, with, those I, it just was beyond my comprehension a little bit okay so uh long story short we started to you know kim did the design and we started to when we started to do the prototypes i was i would go to kim i'm like kim this is ridiculous the spin rate's literally at 2300 off my driver and i'm it's it's perfect launch angles it's 12 to 13 and i can't i don't so long story short my I, I landed on this TD six that was a cat five and it just, it was per It was great. And then I, then it became to me, like I was excited to have other people hit it. Like tell you have to hit this driver shaft. Like, is it just me or is it really that good? You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of yeah. weird. And uh, so th then, you know, I'm looking to where that speed, that 110, 112, where I needed that speed to, to, for weight to frequency mm -hmm. at. And, and I felt like the magic number was right around 8.2, 8.3 frequency, which is obviously pretty stiff, mm -hmm. but in the driver shaft, that's right where it fell for me. Um, I, and that's where our, our cat five straight in 60 gram shaft goes right there. Now in the three wood shaft, my frequency is about, um, six, nine, seven, oh, Right. So, and that matches it, that performs so that, you know, in a three wood, I want it to be able to turn over if I can turn it over, mm -hmm. but, but it, ideally I'm, I, you know, I don't want, I, I you, you need a three wood that you just feel like you can hit down a bowling alley. That's kind of my, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, what I'm saying. And yeah. so, yeah. um, seven O is seven O is where I landed there. And then my, um, hybrids at six, eight, my irons are at six, seven, six, eight. And then the wedges, mm -hmm. you know, are probably, um, just shy of that. 
So, TK, what what driver head do you play? I've played two drivers in the last. Uh, I've played both the Sim and I've played the uh, the Maverick, the Sub Zero wow. and the and the Sim Max are the two that I've added. Um, play. I'm just I'm curious on the driver frequency. What what head weight do you normally like? For personally, I'm D one point five to D two. Okay. That's that's. And then I'm um, D two and a half on the three wood, D three yeah. on the five wood. Mm. I'm just curious with with that frequency on the driver, whether whether head weight, so shaft weight or shaft flexes, is, is 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 a consequence or the frequency is a consequence of head weight, and that's where there's a little spike there. So you know if you're playing, obviously the swing weight a fraction lighter. The sweat that you know, I know Callaway product has has been in the last few years been quite light. Sim is is in the you know one ninety five without sleeve. Um, that's interesting. That there's such a spike in the driver, then it kind of hits a hits a range six nine six eight all the way down to like six 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 five. Yep, it does change. And also, what's you know, you talk about the uh, the head weight too. Um, our our shaft has a lower balance point. Than yeah. some of than than I would say some of the others out there, which increases the swing weight by maybe one, two, two perhaps. So, yeah. and and what's really nice, I, I've been you know trying to Maverick. The Maverick has in the Sub Zero two weights in the in the in the front back, and you can really change dynamics of you know it's because of the fourteen gram to two gram weights that you have mm-hmm. in those to be able to go all the way from the six seven all the way those you can move the weight and also get the swing weight exactly where you want it. So it's yes it's, and it's fascinating and a fit. When you must find it when you're testing TK, when you do flip those weights around how different you get the feel of the club and you, you might feel it load slightly differently and that affects your timing and you know the energy transfer slightly affected by that and you see different changes with flight. It's truly amazing now where club manufacturers have gone, whether it's, yeah. you know, Callaway, TaylorMade, mm-hmm. Ping, PXG, um, they're, they've all, I mean, the bar has been risen so high yeah. that it, 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 it's, it's really neat to be able to be in, in an industry that is really, these, these guys are smart, smart people, everybody. Yeah. I mean, you know, looking, just looking at your, your wall behind you and you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the access that you have to fitting somebody is really yeah. incredible to how you can leave no stone unturned. Yeah. That's it. And, and that was kind of, we wanted, we felt like, you know, whether we came up with the name of the company, we wanted people to understand what we were trying to strive for when people walk through the door. And obviously people, people see the PGA tours, the pinnacle, and you know, they, they obviously know that some products are unique to the PGA tour, but we want everyone to walk who walks through the door to feel like that tour player for the time that we're with them. And that's from when they book an appointment to when they get a set of clubs and they get them built correctly. And when they go and experience them on the golf course, that, that kind of timeline is, is very important that they feel special and, and having components like we do, um, you know, is, is a big part of that. I'll tell you what, in, in the capacity that you have many times, um, what you're doing for your players is actually mm-hmm. and with the build specifications as well, sometimes yeah. can be better than what tour guys are getting, yeah. which is pretty impressive, pretty impressive. Cause that's that kind of the goal, you know, that everybody mm-hmm. would thought, well, I want to be fit kind of like a tour guys fit. I want to have yeah. that kind of attention and, and really you're doing to a degree. Sometimes what, 
what is even more than what is out on tour because you're talking about weighing mm-hmm. grips even down to yeah. the, you know what like you're hand sorting the the die grip that is 52 grams versus the one that's 50 and a half yeah well, we were chatting with Scott Stallings last week and Scott was obviously as a customer, he's a great relationship with Aaron there at Cool Clubs. And, you know, he talks about coming yeah. in and he's just like, I just don't trust anyone else. Aaron Valdez is the guy who builds my clubs and I just trust exactly what he does. He'll, you know, do a little leading edge grind for me. And, you know, we were chatting about how good that relationship is. And, and we were chatting about that. That's a step beyond what the rest of the guys on tour really get. 100%. And matter of fact, Aaron... You know, Aaron did uh, Streels um, when he was with Wilson. He did his first his first clubs. He kind of did a lead edge grind to to take mm-hmm. camber it to take some of the dig away. And yeah. a lot of the manufacturers they're influenced by these guys because sure. you know they go well shoot if that's if that's what you know Streels likes we're gonna we're gonna implement that into our our product line. Yeah, Aaron's so, an uh, exceptionally good grinder. Um, you know, there's yeah. that's a, there's an art there uh, and. You know, at one time making golf clubs was an art. Now it's more of an assembly mm-hmm. process. But uh, you know, there is an art there, and and he is particularly good at it. Yeah, yeah, I I hundred percent saw that firsthand when I had spent some time out there, and and I see that in certain head designs nowadays that there is a little bit more attention being paid to the sole design again, and whether it's some with a little pre worn leading edge, whether it's a Strixon with the the higher part is in the middle of the head. So if that low point is a little further out in front of the golf ball, it's more about getting that dip club back out of the turf beyond the strike. Um, so I love that there's so many options. And I think sole design, and, and just to quickly segue on that, is, is something that we don't often talk enough. People talk about forgiveness. If your club is stuck in the turf, it's not forgiven. It doesn't matter how big the head is. So we need to make sure we're in and out that efficiently as we can. What is, what is this, this Rickson head that's the 485? If you looked at a lot of those. Yeah, 785 is, is the one that's super, really hot. Um, yeah, that 485 had a great sole design. So oh, yeah. That, yeah. That one, yeah. Absolutely. They're doing a, uh, the OEMs are doing a much, much better job with turf interaction. Uh, mm-hmm now even than they were five years ago yeah. uh they're, they're doing a much much better job uh of understanding and uh you know producing products that uh you know with the turf interaction in mind mm-hmm. yeah i agree i think you're you're right there kim too about the the grinding being you know art in a way like we have customers that will they'll go this the wedge feels good but it's just not quite right and we like well tell me your problems and we'll you know we'll get rid of that problem as much as we can so and you know if the wedge on the bottom says an m grind or a t grind and and that guy's like i just there's just something wrong we can ultimately diagnose and take it to a wheel and and completely change that wedge so that's not one he's gotten off the rack so um you know to wedge grinding that's just taking it to a whole nother level for uh, for club building Absolutely. Yeah. Well, guys, um, you know, we could probably go on about this stuff for uh, another couple of hours, but, you know, we're, we're very mindful of, of your time. And, and thank you so much for coming on and doing this with us. We really, really appreciate it. Hey, Ian, Mike, anytime. Uh, you know, we yeah. enjoy doing this stuff. Uh, but, you know, uh, I look forward to this kind of thing. And, uh, and Tom does too. So uh, hopefully we'll do, a, do many more in the future. Perfect. If you guys are ever up in uh, Toronto, just let us know. We'd love to host you. Please do. All right.
Thank you so much. All right, guys. All right. <laughs> I know. All right. Thanks again, boys. Take care. You could, uh, like you said, you could chat for for hours. And, you know, it's funny. We have, you make these lists of questions and the conversation runs over. And, and Kim is, you know, that's the first time I've ever really talked to him in, in person. Um, you know, I think I shook his hand at a, a few PGA shows. But really, he is, uh, you know, him and his dad are pioneers, like we said in the beginning. But, you know, to, to speak to the guy who's invented as much as he's invented and come up with it's uh, it's always cool. So as a gear junkie like myself and I think yourself, it's, it's always neat to, to, you know, shoot the wind with these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just to have these conversations. And it's funny when he goes off, it's kind of like, he doesn't realize we want him to go off on a tangent. Please yeah. go down those, tell us those stories. Talking about Arnie and banging in the club to find the right lie. Now it's good. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the gold um, yeah. in, in these situations. So uh, I thought that was brilliant. Um, you know, he, he is, he's a unique figure. Uh, he, he, there's not many people uh, in the industry that have the line named after themselves. They're the visionary um, for, for people. We never really get into it there because TK is a humble guy and, and he's, he's not really uh, sort of got to toot his own trumpet. TK is, is one of the top amateurs anywhere in the world. Uh, I want to say he holds a, a handicap at Whisper Rock of it's, it's around plus six or plus seven. Um, I remember there was a point where Phil Mickelson said he would not play TK for money around Whisper Rock. Uh, you know, I, hear, I remember hearing that story somewhere. And, you know, he would give guys like Paul Casey, Martin Keimer, TK would give them shots, uh, you know, playing them around Whisperock. He he is that good. So, you know, I watched I've watched firsthand them do their testing, and, and Kim will ask for certain things, and they'll have shafts that have no logos on them. So a, a lot of the time, TK doesn't quite know what he's working with, and Kim has got his book and he's making notes and he's you know okay do this for me at this speed, flight one up a little bit, shallow out a little bit, see if you can add a little more dynamic loft, work in a little shape. I want to see just how it reacts and. You know, the relationship is really unique. I can't think of many other circumstances where, you know, they have a one-on-one. I mean, he truly is a human iron barn. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, he's the right-handed version of Maddie, I guess. So uh, I know. I mean, he's, uh, we, 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 we think we're fortunate with Matt and we can get him to hit all these different shots. And, you know, uh, TK, is, TK is a master when it comes to that stuff. He, he truly is. And every time I think of doing those type of tests with Matty, TK is the guy who I've got in my mind. That's, uh, you know, that's kind of where you think about coming up with that type of stuff. So, um, you know, no wonder their product has translated into being significant high performers in our industry when, when they go through that process. Yeah. A lot of fun. I really enjoyed that one, Mike. I really did. That was uh, that was that was one for for you and I to geek out on and, and just enjoy it. And hopefully, everyone watching, everyone listening, you know, got as much out of that as we did. Yeah, it was fun. Great stuff. Yeah. Okay, guys, that's episode number eight of season two in the books. Um, I believe we have two more before we come to the end of season two. Uh, really enjoying this season. I think you know we have, we have unique characters coming on all the time. So. Um, more to come in the next couple of weeks. Thanks so much for joining us.